Turn to page 199. But the soul never dies. To Canaan's land I am on my way Where the soul never dies My darkest night will turn to day Where the soul never dies
Ezra, Ezra chapter number three tonight. <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to try to uh, uh, to finish the message that we started um, two weeks ago. It seems like every time we start this, we have a, a special service, or we don't have a service in between. So it takes a lot longer than 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 we plan, but uh, we're going to try to finish up uh, the message in the series facing your giants. This is facing the giant of your past. So this is actually the fourth message in it. And uh, we'll try to finish this tonight. Ezra chapter number 3, verse number 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priest in their apparel with the trumpets, or excuse me, with trumpets, and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise <clears throat> Excuse me, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, it says that they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping for the people or of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your blessings. We thank you for the good songs. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, in the absence of some, you've got others that would stand and take their place. God, we're thankful, Lord, for that tonight. We pray now that you'd bless our folks. Lord, some are not here this evening. Some are traveling. Some are sick. Uh, Others are out for different reasons. We pray you'll bless them. Bring them back the next time that we gather together. Lord, but those of us that are here and those that may be watching on the Internet, we ask you today that you would bless us. I pray that you'd encourage us and strengthen us. God, we thank you and we praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we, uh, we want to give you just a quick, a quick recap about this message. We, we started uh, giving you a, a layout of the book of Ezra and some historical things. I'm not gonna, uh, waste time on that. Just know that they had been in captivity, uh, for 70 years and they were now free. There was a quote unquote remnant that were free and they decided to rebuild the temple 
I believe it was less than 50,000 among 2 to 3 million Jews uh, left a bondage to go back to Jerusalem. And so we find that they returned to the temple and uh, we can see there in verse number 8, uh, down through verse number 13, that they begin to lay uh, hands on the tools. They begin to lay a uh, hand to uh, to the brick and to the mortar. And they begin to lay the foundation. We find there in verse number uh, 11 that they sang and they uh, praised and they gave thanks. But then in verse number 12, it seems a somber verse. Uh, it says that those older men, the Bible called them ancient men. Uh, that's not a derogatory term, but that's a term that meant these men were old enough to remember the time before captivity. So uh, they were in captivity at least 70 years. And so these men were above 70 years. And it says that they began to weep because they remembered the the old temple in its glory. And they remembered the goodness of God beforehand. And now they were seeing the new foundation. Uh, but then that younger generation, they were not weeping because of what uh, they remembered, but they were weeping or they were praising God, shouting for joy uh, because of what God was now doing. And so we deal with this thought of facing your giants. Uh, sometimes we get stuck in a rut, if you will, in remembering the way things used to be. And can I tell you today that it is okay to remember some things of your past. <coughs> It's okay to remember the blessings of yesteryear. It's okay to remember the preachers that have come through and that have passed away and, and what a great time that we've had with them. It's okay to remember all of those things. But if we ever put God in a box and say God was so good then, but there's no way He can do it now, then we do ourselves a disservice. We hurt those around us, but we dishonor God in saying that. And so as we remember our past, to let us never forget uh, that God that was there then is still willing and able to bless us now. And so though some may think back to the times of their past and, and weep because of the blessings of yesteryear, I remember that there are some that need to shout for joy uh, because of the blessings of today. So we get now to the first point of the message and we said that there is a past and we need to face it honestly. And I could tell you stories about my past, even uh, before I was saved. When I was 12 years old, I still had a past, and I still had some things that I wanted swept under the rug, and nobody would ever know about. And I could tell you some of those stories, but I believe if we're going to face this giant of our past, now, I'm not very smart, but Miss Caleb, if we're going to face a giant of our past, we have to be in the present. We can't be living in our past and facing the giant of our past. It's just not going to work. And so that means if we're going to face the giant of our past, and we've already come through it, that you need to let that sink in just a little bit. The psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Well, he did not say he was going to camp out in the valley of the shadow of death. He said, I'm going through it. 
And there's a lot of folks that they get bogged down in their past and they just dwell in their past instead of going on. You've moved. The sun has set numerous times. The moon has come up several times. Oh, we've, we've had birthdays. We've had anniversaries. Let's go. Let's go. If we're going to face the giant of our past, we need to, we need to face it honestly. Remember that it was in the past. Remember that it was in our yesteryear. And we told you that Zerubbabel could, uh, here in verse number 8, he could lead a, a great rebuilding effort uh, because of the reality of their past. He was old enough to have heard the stories and to see into the future of what God would do. Uh, others, uh, who did he say... Uh, um, uh, Jeshua, the son of Josedak, and the remnant, it says there in verse number 8, they were ready to build this thing, but their past kept creeping up. Every time they would want to set a stone, they would remember the stones that were torn down. Every time they wanted to to, uh, to rough in the building, Samuel, they remembered uh, how that their temple, uh, that they worshipped the one true God, was was broken down, and now they're having to face their past. And remember now, remember this also, there was two to three million Jews. And only 50,000 of them wanted to do the work. If we put that in, in today's time, I don't remember the population of Sumter County. But let's just say we have normally 40 to 50 people here. 40 to 50 people out of maybe sixteen to 18,000 people in Sumter County. Does that make sense? That's kind of what we're looking at. I realize the numbers don't quite line up, but it's just a small group of people wanted to serve the Lord. And here they were, and they were ready to build. But before they could really build, they had to face the giant of their past. There was something looming over them. There was a persecution looming over them. There was a bondage looming over them. But God had had delivered them and set them free. This, this giant of our past, you're going to have to face it honestly. It, it was a glorious past. God had blessed them, but they had a notorious past as well. You can look at Ahab, Manasseh, Zedekiah. You can look at these kings and how wicked that they were. Next we see the present. And this is, we kind of stopped in the middle of this. No longer were they in the past, now they were in today. They were in the present. And if we're going to face the giant of our past, we're going to have to face the present and face it obediently. Brother David in Sunday school mentioned there in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Somebody that was here, y'all help me with it, but he said that David was, uh, he was what, in the right place? He was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to do, going where he was supposed to go. And so here this 50,000 group people are, and they are doing what they were supposed to do. They were where they were supposed to be, and they were headed toward the direction that they were supposed to go. And so they had to face it obediently. God had placed it on the heart of these men to rebuild this temple. And the Bible says that there were two people that knew exactly what to do. 
There was Zerubbabel and Jeshua. These were the high priests. These were the leaders of the exile. And they led the people to do what needed to be done. Listen to this. Immediately. They said, listen, yesterday was yesterday. It's time to go to work. It's time to do what we need to do. We can't tarry. We can't carry on a big old conversation about what used to be. Now we've got to go to work. In Ezra chapter 3, verse number 2, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses and the man God. And so they repaired the altar before they could build the temple. And, and we stopped just, just beyond this. So I'm going to pick up here. They repaired the altar before they built the temple. We asked the question, why would they do that? Why would they not go ahead and get some two-by-fours? Why would they not go ahead and frame out? Uh, why would they not go ahead and dig the footers? Why would they not go ahead and put the rebar in the footers and tie it all together? Why not go ahead and order the concrete trucks and back them in there? Brother Joe, am I telling it right? Why would they not do that? They built the altar before they built the tabernacle. Why? Because worship must always come before work. If you try to do a work of God without first worshiping, thus fellowshipping with God, your work will become redundant. Your work will become an obligation. Your work will fail. But church, if we begin to worship God first and then work, then God will give us victory over this giant. In their actions, they said, God, we want a relationship with you before we restore our religious way of life. You see, they were to alter, uh, offer sacrifices. They were to come and bring ritualistic sacrifices here. Uh, but before they ever did that, before they ever made this building where that was to happen, uh, they erected the altar and they brought in their sacrifices and they offered it up for a sweet-smelling savor unto Almighty God, Brother Eric. And I'm telling you today, if we want to face this giant of our past, we're going to have to face it in the present and face it obediently and do what God told us to do. In uh, chapter number 2 of the book of Nehemiah, uh, we see that he came to rebuild the walls. But even before that crucial protection of the city was built, he had to restore the altar. I'm going to say something, and I don't want you all to take me out of, out of line. I realize that it is fairly new, just two years old, but there's a rock altar in the back. And every week I find my way out there between Sunday school and church. If anybody wants to come, you can come. I've kept it private, but if you want to come and worship with me, that's fine. But if this building were to be destroyed somehow, as long as that altar out there remained I'd be okay. Now, if by chance we, we see this as our altar, some people come in and they say, you don't have an altar? Well, yeah, it's a step. We, we have an altar. This thing has, has served us for years upon years as an altar. If this entire church were to be destroyed, 
But this altar remained. I believe we'd be alright. But now, if this entire building, this property, were to be destroyed, just a couple of days ago we had a tornado and it come in the middle of the night. Nobody even knew it was coming. It touched down. It moved. It just, what was it, 300 yards? It wasn't very long swath at all. And uh, it, it was gone. The only people really knew about it was the people that it hit. If that were to happen, it sat down on this building. It was gone. According to the example laid out in Nehemiah and Ezra, before we ever laid hammer to nail... The very first thing we ought to do is place an altar on this property so that we can give our hearts back to God. So if that's the case in the physical realm, then it stands to make sense to me that before we can truly be victorious over the giant of our past, while we're, while we are in our present and we are trying to face this, this, uh, this, uh, uh, giant obediently, then we need to make sure that we have a strong altar made up in our life. There needs to be a place where we can go and pray. Now, it may not be a physical place. It may be a closet. It may be beside the bed, in a rocking chair, in a vehicle somewhere. It could be in the middle of the air on an airplane somewhere, Brother Jody. But if our hearts are right with God, that we ought to have a place where we can confidently go and pray and seek the face of God. We use this, this word worship and, and I realize we got started early and I'm going to try to finish early. I don't want to take too much time. I feel like I've already been up here 15, 20 minutes. But we use this word worship. So what does this word worship mean? It is, it means to bow down before. The scripture says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Who, who are they to confess? Jesus Christ and that He is Lord. Worship begins with humility. Solomon demonstrated his humility in 1 Kings chapter number 8. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. So here was the king on his knees with his hands raised to heaven. Chapter number 8, 1 Kings, verse 55. He stood and blessed the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto His people Israel according to all that He promised. There hath not failed one word of His good promise which He promised by the hand of Moses His servant. So Solomon demonstrated humility in his worship. But humility comes from another word that means... Worth-ship. Doesn't that sound familiar? Worship. And this means to ascribe worth or value to something. And so that we, we are to ascribe the proper value or the proper worth to God. 
when I often say he's he's uh, uh, he's worthy of our worship, that means that we ought to think about God's goodness and what He has done both in our recent past and our past and ascribe that we are to heap that upon God and thank Him for what He has done. We are to worship Him. The first time it's used is in Genesis chapter number 22, verse number 5. You remember Abraham said to the young men, he said, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And so we ought to ascribe worth to God in our worship. Now, I'll just say this in passing. In our modern day, we've got it mixed up. We've, we, we say it's praise and worship. Praise is an, is an outward expression. Worship is something that can only be done within. It can only be done in the heart. And I firmly believe that worship must come first before we can praise God. And our society has got it backwards and we want to automatically see the outward appearance. And, and that's why I, I fight the urge sometimes, uh, to get on to people for not raising their hands or get on to people for not shouting, uh, because they are, wor- hopefully they are worshiping God within. And I can't see that, Miss Barbara. I can't see when someone worships of God within. But here's the kicker of that little uh, uh, mindset of mine. Very often, more often than not, when someone worships, worships God, they begin an outward praise to God. And so if you, if you say, well, preacher, you don't say anything to me about worshiping God, about raising my hand or about shouting amen or, or whatever, uh, because I'm worshiping God on the inside. I'm praising God with you. But I just want you to know, according to the example of the Bible, an outward appearance of the inward worship is going to come very soon. Y'all 17 people with me tonight? All right. Just making sure. So then, we ought to obediently face our present. If we want to face the giant of our past, then we've got to face it in our present. Stop placing insignificant worth on yourself, on your past, and on your part in your future. Now, this sounds like it ought to be in a self-help book. But the fact remains today... There are some folks that will not get victory over their past because they continue to blame themselves and they continue to wallow in the failures of the past instead of living in the presence where God has you and doing what God wants you to do and forget about your past. Now, it's often been said that God doesn't call the qualified, He call, He qualifies the called, or something to that affair. I probably got it mixed up. I don't remember. But what I will say to this today is if God has given you instructions, then God has confidence in you, regardless of what you did yesterday. Can y'all help me right there? If, now, the Bible says that God tested Abraham. Now, that, that is not to do evil. 
He didn't, he didn't give Abraham this issue and hope that he would fail. But Nathan, he was testing him. He was, he was trying his faith. And so there are times that God will have us to do something, Miss Anna, and He will not do it hoping that we will fail. But He gives us this opportunity. He gives us this responsibility in hopes that we will remain faithful whether we have the skill to do it or not. And let that sink in just a little bit. There's some folks that have a, a call of God on their life, but they're not answering that call of God on their life because of all of the baggage from yesterday. But if God's called you, that means He's not worried about yesterday, Samuel. He's worried about today. And he's making preparation for tomorrow. Who was it somebody said today, maybe in praying, I don't know about tomorrow, but I I know that you hold tomorrow. That's God. So we ought to face it obediently. I'm trying to hurry. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I've desired of the Lord that I, that will I seek after and that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. He, uh, d- uh, the psalmist says, listen, the past is gone. It's, uh, it's unchangeable. I can't do anything about it. Uh, but one thing I want to do is to dwell in the house of the Lord. He said, I want to worship you come hail or high water. I want to worship you no matter who stands in the way. I want to worship you regardless of the circumstances. I want to worship you if against the law. I want to worship you if it's against society. I want to worship you no matter what. And folks, if we're going to truly overcome the giant of our past, we're going to have to get to that point where we're just going to say, God... You're in control. I'm going to forget about it and I'm going to trust you. Here, here, it all lies within this. To trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's absolutely no way to get work done, Miss Abby, for God unless we trust in Him. The truth of it is, if we trust in ourselves, most likely we're going to fall. If we trust in our abilities, I wanted to sing When I Lay My Isaac Down Tonight. Love that song. Love that song. And I thought I could sing it. Got here before everybody. I got six words in it. And my voice went, ah! I said, okay. I won't do it. But if it was truly in my heart, I'd have got up here and I croaked through it. And I'd have had a good time doing it. And y'all would have had to endure it. If we trust in our abilities, oftentimes our abilities will let us down. Our talents will let us down. Our skills will let us down. Our training will let us down. But if we trust in Him, whether or not we have any of those things, it doesn't matter. Brother David in Sunday school has been talking about David and Goliath. And David didn't have any training to be a king. David didn't have any training on how to fight a giant, per se. 
He had some training, but he didn't know it was for a giant. He had training out in the wilderness with a sling. Had training out in the wilderness with a lion and a bear, but he had no idea it was preparing him for a giant. And so when this giant came and defied the armies of Israel and defied the very God of all heaven, David said, no, no. And First Samuel 17, he was asked. He said, well, listen, I done, I done killed the, the, the bear and the lion. He said, I think I can do this. But he didn't come. And I ain't trying to reteach what Brother David preached or taught. But Brother, Brother Jody, you've been here. Nowhere has Brother David said, nowhere does the Scripture say, that David came to Goliath and said, listen, big boy, I have killed a bear and I've killed a lion, so I'm going to kill you. He didn't say that. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. And folks, if we're going to face our giant of the past, we're going to have to come to face our giant of the past in the name of the Lord. And I'll go on and say this. If, if you had a rough past and then you got saved, yes, there may be some penalties. There may be some, some problems resulting from your past. But if God saved you, He's forgotten your past. He has chosen to forget your past. And I don't have to choose to forget. It just happens. But God chose to forget. So if He chose to forget, and I'm preaching to the choir here, if He chose to forget, then why do we let that past become a giant? It's human nature. But every time it comes up, we must face it obediently. I'm going to hurry on and finish this last thought. If we're going to face our giant of the few, of the past, we need to look to the future and accept it gratefully. In verse number 10 down through verse number 13, we see that they laid the foundations of the temple and in laying the foundation of the temple, they set the priest in their apparel with their trumpets. It says the, the Levites and the son of Asaph, they gave them symbols. The reason that they do, did that at the end of verse number 10 was to praise the Lord. Verse number 11, they sang together. They praised. They gave thanks. Listen to this, because he is good. For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. When they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house was laid. So now they have a foundation. And they don't have to worry about their past. They're in the present. It is now. The foundation is now laid. And they're rejoicing in their present. But they continue to look toward the future. If I wanted to build a house today, Brother Jody, let's just say I paid you, you came and you gave me a quote on building a house, top to bottom. And you came out and you, you built the foundation, you, you laid the foundation. And I went out there and I, woo, praise the Lord, I got a foundation. Thank you, Jody. Here's all your money. I appreciate all your help. Foundation, not a house, Miss Denisha. You still got work to do, Brother Jody. 
I've still got some sweat and tears myself into this house because there's more to come. They were not only shouting, Brother Eric, because of the work that had been done, but they were rejoicing and they were praising God for the work that was to come. We have made it this far and God's mercy endureth, listen to this, endureth forever. In other words, if I could paraphrase what in my mind they were saying is God has been good. He's left us or He's brought us out of this uh, uh, this bondage for the last 70 years. He's given us a remnant of people that care about the cause of God. We've come, we've built this altar, we've built this foundation and God's mercy endureth forever. Forever. In other words, God's going to let us finish this thing. And folks, today we need to rejoice and praise God for what He is going to do. Not just what He has done. Not just what He's done today. But what He's going to do. I've talked to three different men over the last three weeks, I guess, about the camp meeting that we had in April. We had a tent meeting. And all three of these men, and there would be men that you would know, they're not far, part, one of them is a part of the church, but two of them is not. All three of these men have said, I've never seen it like that before. Now that's pretty good. That's pretty good. There's some things that I'd like to change about our tent meeting, about our camp meeting. There's some little things. One, we need sidewalls. Somebody help me right there. We might need a heater in there come April. I don't know. That was unusually cold, but there might be some changes we need to do. But every one of them said this. I cannot wait to see what God's going to do next year. Do you hear that? These three men. Every one of them, Brother Eric, said, I can't wait to see what God's going to do next year. You know what that gives me? That gives me nothing that I've done by any means, Kaylee. That it gives me a little giddy up and go to know that, that, that outside of our church, there's an excitement about what God's doing here. And I believe there's an excitement in this church about what God is doing here, but also there or in the tent meeting or the camp meeting, whatever you want to call it, there's an excitement about what God is going to do. You don't know how to face your giant of the past? Get excited about the future. Accept it gratefully. Ecclesiastes 7.10 For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. So we see that they had seen the former glory of Solomon's temple. They knew... Uh, they knew that this new foundation was not the same. They understood that. But they were looking forward to the day that they could begin teaching in the temple again. That they could begin sharing the good news of God's Word. We can be thankful for our history, but don't live there. The past, if we live there, becomes your giant. Of today. If you live there, you'll live ungrateful for what God is doing. 
whether it's big or whether it's small. <clears throat> Kids have 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 uh, an issue sometimes of maybe for their birthday or maybe for Christmas they they want this big thing, whatever it is, and they get a lot of little things, if you will, that far exceed the cost of the big thing, and they're great things, but because they don't get that one thing that they wanted, they're upset. Well, one, I'll, I'll sum it all up in this, B-R-A-T. I'll let y'all spell that. And occasionally I have some at 210. My girls just looked at one another. They know how to spell. Nathan, you know how to spell? Okay. These homeschool kids, you got to watch them. Kayla, you got it? You with me? Okay. But we can give them a hard time about, about being ungrateful. But what about us? We'll pray, God, do it today like you did it yesterday. And God does something. But we don't thank Him for what He's done today. Because it's not like our expectations of yesterday. The past becomes your giant. You'll live ungrateful. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet stone in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the earth. Remember Zerubbabel was the one that we're looking here in verse number 8. He's one of those chief builders. He says that they, they're despising the small things. He said, but they ought to rejoice when they see the plummet line, the plumb line of Zerubbabel. That means he's building. He's working. He's doing something for God. Whatever God is doing, it ought to be marvelous in our eyes. It ought to be something that we can Honor God in His worth-ship. When we see God doing something, we ought to give God the praise for it. One writer wrote this, I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. Well, I reckon if I could answer that writer, I'd say that there is. It's called at the feet of Christ. All of those things, all of our grief and heartaches and mistakes can be laid down at His feet. And we don't have to pick it up again. Too often we do, but we don't have to. If you're dealing with this giant of the past, whether your past has been tattered and stained, or it's commendable and bright and shiny, I want you to know today, 
that you can overcome that giant. You may not be able to change your past, but you can overcome it. Things may not be like they used to be. Even here, we can see that change. And sometimes it's hard to see that change. May not be like it used to be. But I believe if we put God where He deserves to be, then God will take care of today and tomorrow, regardless of what our yesterdays used to be. So tonight, as we finish this, I encourage you, let's worship God today. And if we'll worship God today, Jesus said that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we can worship God as such, as the God of our past, present, and future, then I firmly believe within my heart of hearts, I firmly believe if we can focus ourselves on God, And He'll take care of that giant of our past. Let's stand tonight. You and I have a great opportunity tonight to be able to move beyond. Fill in the blank. If you've done wrong today... Ask forgiveness of it. Let God give you that forgiveness. Let God cleanse you. And move on. Purpose in your heart not to do that again. And move on. God's promised that He would forgive you. If there's something in your past that you can't physically remove out of your life, Maybe it's a relationship in the past. Maybe there's some trouble lingering over you in the past. Know this, that even though you may always be able to see it spiritually, spiritually, if God has overlooked that and God has forgiven you of that, then it's time for you too spiritually to move on and forget about your past. Whether it's hurt, whether it's shame, whether it's sin, whatever it is. It's time to get victory over that thing. The victory over your past.